Live from Sayville Studio, this is Between the Shelves. Welcome. This is your host, Alex, and this week I'm joined by Peter. Hello. Thank Welcome. you. Um, in this episode, we're going to be highlighting our vinyl record collection. So we're going to try something a little new. We're going to be spinning some records live here on the episode. So I apologize ahead of time if you have any audio hiccups or anything. So uh, this is the first time we're trying this. So uh, this should be fun. So uh, before we start spinning some records, let's talk about the vinyl collection just really quickly. Uh, Peter, you you curated the collection, right? With with Tim. Yeah, with the, Tim. The head of, uh, he was the head of adult services at the time. Now he's the assistant director. So how did you go about building the collection? Um, we tried to get something from, you know, of course, just like with the CD collection, you have to kind of skew to what's more popular. So there's, of course, more rock and pop. But we tried to get something from all different genres, things from different um, time periods and, um, you know, some current records, some old records, a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah, I will say um, it was really hard picking the records out for this episode that I wanted to play. Not because there was it was hard to find any good choices. It was just there were too many good choices. So I think you and Tim did a great job selecting records. There's a lot of hits on this. Thank you. Yeah, and you're gonna hear a lot of hits today on this episode, listener. So let's just, let's get just get started. So the first uh, record I have here is. Um, Sufjan Stevens, come on, feel the Illinois, Illinois, um, or just Illinois. Um, this record came out in 2005. It's his fifth album. Um, so let's, let's hear it now. This track is called Tallest Man, Broadest Shoulders. track 20 on Illinois. Um, I actually was fortunate enough to see Sufjan Stevens on tour in 2010 in Boston for his Age of Ads tour and he played almost this entire album live and it was inc incredible. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Um, so this album there was a lot of talk about it when it came out. Um, There's a lot of speculation that because this whole album it's a concept album around the state of Illinois and a lot of people thought that Stufan was going to go ahead and make an album for every state in the country, and he only did one other one, Michigan, before it was his I think fourth he album. said he was going to. I oh, think he did? He, yeah, but then obviously didn't. That would yeah, they just, he just did the two. 50 albums. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, man, this, is, this album is fantastic. It's one of my totally favorite albums. I love this album, too. I, I, know you, I didn't know you were choosing it, but this is a great one. Yeah, I got first dibs at the vinyl record, so... <laughs> um, yeah, great album all the way through. Lots of great instrumentals. Um, very, uh, very out there. Great, in I don't even know how to classify this album. Indie, but very experimental. Um, yeah, big production, very fun. Great choice, Alex. Thank you very much. All right, 
Peter, do you have uh what do you got next? That one here. So everything we're playing, by the way, today, you can check out from the library. We have it on vinyl, and the record player we're playing the vinyl on, actually, uh, you can check out as well. Okay, so I'm loading up the next one. Ooh, if I can find, there we go. So this is uh, one of my all-time favorite albums. It's a band called the Cocteau Twins. And um, to give you a little background for people who aren't familiar with them, they are a Scottish band started in the 80s, and their early albums were quite dark, kind of goth albums. Um, but they always had something special. There was something different about it. Mostly uh, the singer Elizabeth Fraser has a, a very unique, beautiful voice. And her delivery at that time was a little more um, aggressive than it became. Um, they became, this is... Uh, kind of considered by a lot of people their best album. It's called Heaven or Las Vegas. And um, this is what became to be known as dream pop. When I was in, you know, in the 90s, they called it ethereal music. But um, this is the first track on the album. And this is uh, kind of considered their mature style when they be became something other than you know, kind of a second tier goth band, even though I really like those early ones. This song is called um, Cherry Colored Funk. So um, this album, uh, you probably hear like the, the lyrics are pretty much unintelligible. And that's something that comes from she was, uh, the singer is like intensely shy and um, she didn't want anybody to know what she was saying and they never printed the lyrics. So she would intone them in a way where she would um, kind of put the emphasis on different syllables so it's very difficult to understand what she's saying which is by nature so essentially it's just the voice is another instrument and another sound instead of even though she is often saying something um, the album after this was the first one where she sang a little more straightforward you can hear the lyrics but um, I just love this album it's you know really beautiful and they were a very influential band for um, uh, a lot of the bands that came in the 90s, so one of which we'll talk about yeah. later. I really like this. This reminds me of, have you heard of the band Beach House? Mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of Beach House. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure uh, Beach House probably are fans of Cocteau oh, Twins. This I'm album's sure. from 1990, uh, but they started, I think the first album was from 1980, so um, this is a great starting place if you're looking. Also, the only one we have at the library, so... Uh, I recommend it. Yeah, come in and check it out. Raise that demand and maybe we'll buy some more. Yep. Yeah. All right, great. I love that. I love that. 
So, um, quick aside, I didn't mention that I actually used to have a radio program in college. Uh, we were Ugly Radio, and I had to go back into my notes because I forgot uh, what our time slot was and our DJ names and everything. And uh, I did it with my, my buddy Ian. Shout out to Ian. And um, we were on Thursdays from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. WRIU, Rhode University of Rhode Island College Radio. Shout out WRIU. I'm very um, jealous. I always wanted to be a college radio. It was the <laughs> highlight of my college <laughs> experience by, by far. We did it for about a year and a half, 20, 2009, 2010, that, around that area. Um, the, we, used to, we changed our DJ names every episode. Um, so I, the only ones I remember are DJ Potted Plant and DJ Whiskers. Um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Just a tiny studio. The entire building was empty. It was like the community or the, the student center or something. So we were just completely left alone at, at night on an empty college campus. And we could just do whatever we wanted. It was so much fun. And uh, when we started, we just played music and we probably just introduced the songs. And then as we went on, we got more comfortable and we ended up just talking most of the time. <laughs> played, probably played like a half a dozen songs in three hours. Okay, here we go. Found it. All right, so the next song I'm going to be playing is for... Um, can you help me out, Peter? Yeah. Sorry. So um, the next album is Odyssey and Oracle by The Zombies. So this is a throwback to the 60s. This came out in 1968. It's the second album by The Zombies. Um, the Zombies have a special place in my heart. I've always liked them. They're, my, my brother's a big fan. Uh, my dad has has their records, and my wife um, is a big fan of the Zombies as well. And she actually played the song that I'm about to play here um, for I think it was like an Instagram story or something, and it really triggered back, a, brought back a lot of memories. So I'm going to play that that track here now. Um, it is not the song you probably think I'm going to play, um, which is "Time of the Season," which was the hit from this album. I'm going to be playing "This Will Be Our Year." This is track three, I believe, on side one. Okay, there. So the Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone magazine had uh, their, they do like the top 500 albums of all time list every couple of years. And the last time they ran this list, or the last time I could find it at least, they had this album ranked at number 100 of the top 500 albums of all time. So it's a great album all the way through, but uh, Time of the Seasons, the track everyone knows, but this one's my favorite. Yeah, I've been aware of the zombies. I know that song, but I've never actually... You know, listen to any of their album tracks yeah. or anything. So 
They're a, they're a, I guess, not a deep cut, but they're one of the lesser known, I guess, bands from the 60s yeah. that don't get enough praise. All right, that's what I got. Great. Well, I load the next one. Um, I'll just mention that I actually, one of the reasons I was the one of the people who uh, was in charge of choosing these uh, records for the collection is because I am a big record collector myself. Um, I have a little over 2,000 at home, so... This is like kind of my obsession, so it's pretty cool that I get to do this today. Um, I wrote down the song, uh, the side this was on, but I'm, I'm wrong because apparently it's not. I'll vamp while you're uh, yeah. while you're trying to find the uh, the side. So uh, what do you? I'm just curious. You know, vinyl records. Oh, I have the note here. They just passed um, CD sales for the first time since. CDs were introduced basically like 30 years recently, yeah, like last year. So what do you, what do you think's behind like this huge record resurgence? I mean, to me, the, uh, I'm not really an audiophile. Like I know certain people say there's a, and I think there's some truth to that. There's a different kind of presence to the sound when it's being produced physically by a, a needle dragging across vinyl instead of, you know, ones and zeros. Uh, but for me, it's it's more of a like a like a, a tactile thing. I like the object. I um I really like a lot of labels, record labels growing up that were really well known for their uh, packaging. Cocteau Twins is on label four AD. You can see the listener can't, but they you know they were known for they they have like uh, his name was Vaughn Oliver, who was their graphic designer. He designed all their things. And there's another label from that time, Factory Records, that they did Joy Division, New Order, and they had Peter Saville was their designer. And I just got really into like the beauty of the object. And, um, you know, also I'm old. So I, you know, in the late 80s, I started buying records because there was a thing, a 12 inch single that you could get. And it was like a full size record, but it was just a single. So there would be on one side, an extended dance remix of the song and on the back side there were two b-sides instead of just one that you get on the seven inch so that's i discovered that at like sam goody at the mall and i started buying the 12 inch singles so that's kind of how my obsession with um yeah the <laughs> collecting records started the pairing of visual art with audio art is kind of was kind of a lost art i think that's what's yeah. kind of helping it come back because it is like you know on looking at the records that i have out in front of me like Every album cover is iconic. Yeah. You know, it's the the album cover is almost a lost art. Yeah. It seems. So I mean like yeah, it bothers me too like if you you listen to something on Spotify there's no they don't include liner notes so you're like right. you wonder I you have to google it like oh where was this recorded who you know who did this or you know yeah. lyrics give me too. some details about this yeah. thing and it, you can't because they don't include that stuff. All right, so um, what do we have next here? I've got, uh, this album is Daydream Nation by Sonic Youth. And um, I chose this one because I like it. This is kind of, in, in a similar way, the, a bit of a crossover album for them where they kind of hit a, a is a little more um, straightforward than their early albums. They started in the, uh, what was called the No Wave scene in New York. And their early stuff is, you know, quite aggressive and heavy. And you know this is a little bit too, but I also chose it because... Um, along with bands like the Cocteau Twins, 
in the UK, um, bands that were going in the US at a similar time in the uh, early 80s, mid 80s, like Sonic Youth or Dinosaur Jr. were really influential uh, in, a, in the type of music that I um, really liked in the 90s, which is we're going to talk about next. And so uh, these two first two albums I'm playing are songs kind of built to what the second two that I'm going to play. So um, this song is called Candle. And like I said, it's on Daydream Nation. Let's see if I can get it. I might not start right at the beginning of the song. So, um, yeah, this album I really like. It's uh, the earlier albums have a very like even more aggressive, but like also more experimental kind of uh, side to them, which they always kept. But this album kind of some of the blunt edges were um, rubbed off as a little bit more accessible. And, um, you know, they have a, a sort of, you know, the Cocteau Twins have a accomplish a sort of wall of sounds in a way that um in a you know lighter way and they, they do the same thing sonic youth with you know distortion and uh i'm not like the world's biggest sonic youth fan but i always you know i like a lot of music that where it was inspired by them and i do like them a lot too so that's candle by sonic youth from daydream nation great choice great choice uh, i'm glad you picked a more heading towards the rock era because I had a couple of rock albums coming up and I didn't want to jump from uh, Dream Pop to The Clash or the album that I'm going to play next. So I think this is a good transi transition. So see what, I'm interested to see what you're going to play. It's going to be a surprise. This next album that I'm going to be playing is Doolittle by The Pixies. It is their second their second album. This was incredibly hard to pick a single track from because this album is gold all the way through. Yeah, so no weak here, song on the whole thing. There's no weak song. So let me just list off a couple of these songs. Hey, La La Love You, Wave of Mutilation, Here Comes Your Man, Monkey Gone to Heaven, Dead, and Debaser. All of those songs, in my opinion, are number one hits. Like those are all fantastic songs. Um, but the, the song I chose, I'm just going to start it off with the, the lead track, track one, Debaser. Great track. I think it summarizes the, the feel of the whole album pretty well. Um, another trivia, Peter, this might make you sad. I apologize. This album came out four days after I was born. <laughs> <laughs> I so, got this album when it was new. <laughs> sorry. 
That's all right. Um, but so I have a little bit of a connection to it. Um, so this was listed uh, number 141 on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. And Pitchfork magazine has it listed as the fourth best album of the 80s. So this album I can't recommend highly enough. One of my favorite albums ever. So here we go. Track one, Debaser. That's Debaser by the Pixies off the album Doolittle. Highly, highly recommend this one. One of my favorites. Um, is it fair to say that the Pixies kind of had a resurgence after the movie Fight Club came out? I think so. Yeah. yeah. With Where Is My Mind. Yeah. The, mo- the movie ended iconically with the song Where Is My Mind, which is... Is that off this album? I don't think it is. No, that's on the first album. On the first Sir album, Rosa, yeah. yeah. But uh, this is probably their best album, I'd say. It's my favorite, I think. And also... A little trivia: They were on the same label as Cocteau Twins, 4AD. There you go. And Great which album. Which is why cover. the album cover is so good. <laughs> and uh, they were the second American band ever signed to 4AD after the Throwing Muses. There you go. <laughs> Great album. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Great track choice too. Thank you very much. I, I was going back and forth between um, a lot of them. I like Hey a lot. Um, Here comes your man and Monkey Gone to Heaven, where they're two charting. I think the two singles from this yeah. album, those both charted pretty highly. Uh, but Wave of Mutilation, I love, too. Um, that song was on uh, the game Rock Band, the video game Rock Band. Uh-huh. And I would play it nonstop. I think <laughs> I mastered it on Expert on every instrument. I love that song. All right, that's Nice um, uh, film reference on this song, too. A reference to um, the yeah, Louise yeah. Buñuel song, Unchen Andalusia. Oh, that's what they're saying. Okay. Yeah, slicing up eyeballs. That's what because in that I don't it, know if you've seen that Spanish no. movie. They actually, it was a special effect, but it looks really real. They slice an eyeball. Okay. I know you're a film buff. So I am. I'll have to add that to my list. I got to look at the liner notes to get the proper spelling of it so I can look it up. Yeah, and then hopefully a library has it. We'll see. All right, that's what I got, Peter. What, what's next? What's coming next? Okay, so this is. Um, band called Slow Dive. The, this is their self-titled album, Slow Dive, and they actually they began in the late 80s in England, and they were one of the bands that was inspired by Cocteau Twins, who started in the early 80s, and all, as well as bands like Sonic Youth and Dinosaur Jr. from America, and they were part of uh, 
movement that had be, has become to be known um, shoegazing, which was something by a, a critic who referred to that because they had so many effects pedals when they play live, they would be looking down at their feet. So, <laughs> um, but you know, it kind of this is this is the later album that came back came out. Um, they they broke up in I think nineteen ninety five, and then um, maybe when did this album come out? Ten years ago or something like that. Uh, 2017, six years ago, they reformed and did a big tour and um, put out a new album, self-titled, which actually was the highest selling uh, vinyl record that year, which is weird because they they were never a very popular band. Um, they were when they first released their first EP, it was a, they were kind of critical darlings and they did really well first off. But then um, Britpop, ha Britpop happened with Oasis and Blur. And almost all of the bands that were considered shoegaze got dropped by their labels and kind of faded away. But they had made an impression and a lot of Americans like me at the time. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, this song is, it's called Everyone Knows and it's on their self-titled album, Slow Dive. So yeah, this is the this band is might be my favorite band or one of my favorite, you know top five at least and uh, I just really like this type of music that I I feel like they kind of combine the um, you know dreaminess of Cocteau Twins but they've got more of a straightforward rock setup that's a little heavier and more distorted and um, would you consider this lo-fi or is that I think that might just be the speakers on the <laughs> this record player, but not not really. I mean, they, they you know I wouldn't consider it lo-fi. Um, this kind of reminds me of the band Deer Hunter. Do you like Deer Hunter? Yeah, also on 4AD. Wow, um, I'm nailing it. Yeah, the Deer Hunter are in, influenced a lot by Slow Dive. Yeah. A lot of the bands from that era, um, but yeah, Slow Dive were. Not my buddy Valentine is kind of considered the ultimate shoegaze band, uh, but Slow Dive were coming up around that same time and um, are one of my favorites of that uh, yeah. era. It sounds a lot like Deer Hunter. I'm gonna say I, I yeah. I'm definitely gonna check this out. Yeah, Deer Hunter definitely owes a lot to Slow Dive. <laughs> All right, that's great. Yeah, I like. I'm digging this. This is really taking me back to. You know, like my, my post-college years, I'd hang out at my, my friend Justin's house and we'd put on, he had a vinyl record set up and we'd just put on vinyl and just hang out. You know, that's another thing that 
it's kind of lost these days. No one like sits around in couches and listens to Spotify playlists, you know, yeah. like there's something like tactile about like having to switch over the side when the record ends. And, and it's a little harder to skip a song. So you're more likely to listen to a whole album right. straight through. Which, that's I do every morning before work. I have my coffee. I sit in my basement and listen to a record with the cat. <laughs> I did it this morning. <laughs> All right. So this next record is uh, near and dear to my heart. It's actually the first vinyl I ever bought for myself. One of my favorite albums of all time, so I was happy to see it and not surprised to see it in our collection because it's Stone Cold Classic. Um, let's see, Rolling Stone had it listed as as high as eighth on their top 500 albums of all time. This is London Calling by The Clash. Another album that's incredibly hard to pick one, just one track to play off of. Um, I mean, this has Train in Vain, London Calling, Clamp Down, I can go on and on. Guns of Brixton is one of my favorite Spanish bombs. But uh, I decided to go with the one of the first tracks that, that really led me to this album, which is Rudy Can't Fail. So this album is, um, you know, it's, it's a seminal punk rock album, but it also kind of bridged the way for introducing new genres, you know, kind of a blending of genres. So this is kind of, I guess, a maybe a pillar of ska or something, you know, punk ska. Yeah, I mean, that early punk was, uh, it all came up in the same neighborhoods in London where um, there was a lot of Caribbean music, right. a lot of, uh, so that reggae and dub and what became ska was all yeah, mixing, it's all and you, you hear that influencing in a lot of one another, British yeah. British punk records. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is a, definitely has a, a little bit of kind of reggae influence, I guess you could call it, onto a, a punk band. So, this is Rudy Can't Fail. And this is track five on London Calling. That's Rudy Can't Fail by The Clash. Uh, yeah, great song, great album, all the way through. Really love it. Do you have any Clash records in your 2008 I have a couple. Collection? I don't have this one. I've got, I think, Sandinista. Yeah. But I like this one better, but uh, I'm kind of a stickler. I don't like buying reissues, and it's hard to find a original. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But yeah, this is, I, I would say this is better album than any of the ones that I have. Yeah, this is like a record you can put on and listen all the way through, and there's yeah. just hit after hit after hit. We were talking about album covers earlier. This is might be one of the most iconic album covers of all time. Um, it's uh, an homage, I guess you can call it, to an Elvis Presley album. Yeah. I don't know which Elvis Presley album it is. 
It but, might just be self-titled Elvis Presley. Oh, uh, okay. I'm not sure. Um, but it has London Calling and big bold letters going on the left and bottom in pink and green. And then it has a not very iconic photo of the bassist Paul Simonon smashing his instrument uh, live on stage. Great album cover. And um, the UK actually issued um, a stamp set maybe a decade ago of the top... 10 album covers of all time as stamps and this was one of them so oh, yeah i didn't know that that's cool that's what i got so peter what's what's next so this next one i'm gonna play is a little bit of a um slight self-promotion this is a band i used to be in uh it's my friend's band uh, um i actually play chimes on one song on this album but um they're still uh, going and i i donated this record to our collection but I think it's really good. Yeah, listeners, um, you can't <laughs> hear or see this, obviously, but uh, it's on a very cool, it's like a translucent what you, magenta, purple magenta final. Yeah. yeah, and it, I, I think it's got a, a cool cover. I too. like, yeah, I it's like called Bells and New Towns. The the band, uh, the band is called Landing, and um, they're friends of mine that I met in college back in Utah. But they're from the main person, Aaron Snow, who's in it. He's from Connecticut, and we eventually, most of us all. Uh, moved out here and when I was in library school in Connecticut I joined the band I'm, I play on only on one of their albums called uh, Brocade but uh, uh, this is their most recent album it came out you know I don't know <laughs> I don't see the date really handy but maybe five years ago or something like that uh, and uh, this is where uh, uh, this uh, I think we consider Landing would consider themselves a, a genre that kind of started in the late 90s uh, that was known as space rock, and it's uh, influenced by shoegaze from England, but it's also influenced by 60s psychedelic music as well as uh, 70s krautrock from Germany. Um, this song is more on the sort of ethereal, dreamy shoegaze um, side, but some of the songs on this are heavier with a more kind of psychedelic thing, but this one is called Fallen Name. So um, I uh, kind of sad that I wasn't on this record because I think it's a really good album. Yeah, and, uh, I dig this. I um, just to kind of talk about the music a little bit. I mean, it's easy to hear like the shoegaze dream pop uh, element. Um, some of the songs have a little more heavier like guitar and bass that feel like more '60s psychedelic sort of style. But um, I really like. Uh, the ties to, I, I find, to 70s kraut rock are mostly in the drums. It, it, they call it a motoric beat, where it's 
a very simple beat that just keeps repeating and there's only like a, a occasional fill. It's not flashy at all, but it produces a, like a very hypnotic effect. Yeah. And uh, I think on this album in particular that um, that's present in Landing. This song maybe is not a great example of that particular thing, but I thought it fit with the other records I played yeah, a little more. And it was at the beginning of the record, which made it easier to <laughs> start. Yeah, I like this a lot. Cool. Awesome. I really like it. Since we're getting away from the, uh, the punk rock scene, I think it's uh, an appropriate time to play some jazz. So this album here is maybe the most popular jazz album of all time, or up there. Uh, it was the first jazz album to ever sell a million copies, I can tell you that much. Uh, and the album is Time Out by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Also another great album cover. Yep, another <laughs> iconic album cover, yes. I could play the title track, I'm sorry, I could play Take 5, which is the song that everyone has heard a million times, but I decided to do a different track. Um, I'm going to play the first track, uh, which is called Blue Rondo a la Turk. This is the first uh, track that you hear when you start the album, and I don't know. It's it's an album. It's probably my favorite song on the album, and um, man, it's an it's an earworm. It really sticks with you. So here we go. This is Blue Rondo a la Turk, the first track off Time Out by the Dave Brubeck Quartet. So yeah, that goes on for a few more minutes with lots of very interesting variations on that uh, theme and that that's now going to be stuck in my head all day. I'll be humming it to myself the rest of the day. Um, I mentioned it was the first jazz album to sell a million copies. It's also uh, Take 5, the, the most popular single from this album, was the first jazz single to sell a million copies. And in 2005, the National Registry of Historic Works by the Library of Congress um, added this album to uh, to their collection. Oh, wow. So it's in the National Registry of Historic Works. Amazing. I, uh, I've always been interested in jazz, but as someone who can't go halfway, I, I've just kind of steered clear because I can't, <laughs> I can't go down another road where, and the uh, jazz records are notoriously expensive oh, yeah. and hard to collect. So I, I have to, I've, I've had to keep a, <laughs> a sort of uh, draw line there before yeah, so that's things a wise, don't get out of control. Wise decision, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, this is, I mean, if you're interested in getting into jazz, this is a great place to start. This album is 
through all the way through is a classic. 1959 is when it came out. All right, that's what I got. So we just come into the end here. We each have one album left. Is that right? So while Peter's loading it up, I just want to mention some other albums that uh, are in our collection that uh, we're not playing today that are some of my favorites. Um, Animal Collective, Meriwether Post Pavilion, Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. We have a few Beatles albums, and one that I forgot to um, bring along was the, the most recent reissue of Abbey Road, where they, uh, they remastered the tracks, which oh, yeah. is really great. And I think we have, do we have the White Album too? I'm not I'm sure, not but sure. we have Abbey Road, I know that. We have a few Beatles records. <laughs> um, the Velvet Underground and Nico, David Bowie, Beastie Boys, I mean, the band, Dirty Projectors, Bob Marley, Pink Floyd, The Roots, Elliot Smith, Talking Heads, and A Tribe Called Quest. So just some of the bands that we have. And we also have some more contemporary, if there are any young people listening, yeah. we have, you know, I think we have a Taylor Swift, we have uh, Lady Gaga, Beyonce, some other... Newer stuff as well, Olivia Rodrigo. So, Thank <laughs> I you. try to consider the young people I'm as well because I know a lot of young people are getting interested in vinyl. I'm still so, stuck in the '60s and '70s. <laughs> yeah, he. You just mentioned the Velvet Underground. So my last record I'm going to play is from solo album Chelsea Girl by Nico, who was um, sort of forcefully introduced to Velvet Underground by Andy Warhol, but. For me, like the the songs with Nico are the, my favorite Velvet Underground songs, and there's just something about her. She was a a German model that basically Andy Warhol liked her vibe or whatever, and said he was he was managing Velvet Underground. Said she's gonna be in your band, and she sang, and she has a very interesting uh, what some people have described as tuneless singing, but. For me, I, I just find her so mysterious. I, I started reading a uh, biography about her. And apparently she was a compulsive liar and, and almost everything she ever said in an um, interview is untrue. Uh, I couldn't get through it because it was... And she also was a very tragic person. It was sad. She, you know, she overdosed on heroin. But um, I came uh, actually became aware of her solo stuff, uh, music from... I think it was from Royal Tenenbaums. I was just going to uh, say that. And um, if I remember, this might be the song they played on there. I can't remember. This is um, Ferris of the Season by Nico. They also do these, the album. these Days is also on. Oh, These Days is the one from Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, this might be in another one. This is also one of her more famous songs, the Ferris of the Season. Um, it's all on the album Chelsea Girl.
So I, I find myself drawn to, I find, um, unique voices. Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter to me if they're, you know, conventionally good or even on key, but I think there's something so evocative about her voice, which is often flat. But I, I also think there's something about um, her solo music that is so of its time. Uh, from the 60s, this album is, boy, does it say, I should have looked this up. I didn't do my due diligence, but it came out sometime in the 60s, I believe, late 60s maybe, possibly early 70s. But I just, you know, transports me to a time that, you know, I wasn't born. I'm not that old, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've just the idea of her too as this kind of like rail thin 60s model singing these dour songs is, you know, very Andy Warhol and very yeah it came out in 1967 67 yeah um yeah i so the royal Bombs is one of my all-time favorite movies like top four favorite movies of all time and just hearing this song right now i'm getting like choked up because i'm thinking of the scene that's in the royal Bombs. i can't remember which scene that i remember these days as the bus she's getting off the bus this is i believe the song they played the very end at Spoiler alert, the A Funeral. Oh, yeah, um, I think you might be right. But These Days is also, it's, I think it's the second track on this album that's also in the Royal Tenenbaums. So yeah. that's how I discovered Nico as well, actually, is through that movie. And uh, that that movie has a phenomenal soundtrack. It really we, does. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you mentioned about she's an unconventional, quote-unquote, singer. Mm-hmm. Tom Waits is my favorite artist of all time, and you don't get as unconventional yeah. as Tom Waits. So I completely agree with that point that I don't care if you miss a note or, or whatever, don't sing completely on key. You know, if you have a unique voice and you have unique music, I, that, that far outweighs. Yeah. Interesting is more important than good yes. or on key. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, this is a great album. I'm glad you played it. I almost picked the Velvet Underground. That would have been a nice pairing, but. I could just listen to this whole album all the way through. We gotta <laughs> let's keep going. <laughs> all right, this is my last choice. You're doing a clear the deck for me. This next album I have chosen is this year's model by Elvis Costello. This album is his second album. It came out in 1978 or 79. Um, it's not my favorite Elvis Costello album. It's my second favorite. His first album, his debut album, is my favorite. My aim is true. I think that's that album is great all the way through. But this album has one of my favorite songs ever, um, which was actually not on the original UK release. It was added um, to the US release as a kind of bonus track, I guess you could call it. Um, the song is called Radio Radio. Switch broke cause it's old They're saying things that 
That's Radio Radio by Elvis Costello. Um, fun fact about this song. So this song was actually... Okay, so Saturday Night Live, the television show, on their 25th anniversary had the Beastie Boys come out to play a song. And they started playing, I think, Sabotage or whatever the hit was at the time. And then Elvis Costello storms the stage during their performance and says, No, 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 I'm sorry. We can't play this song. And then they... they we, Elvis Costello with the Beastie Boys then launch into Radio Radio. And it was one of the coolest moments I've ever seen on TV. And it's on YouTube. You can still watch it. It's absolutely fantastic. And I know, I think, Peter, you're going to say this. That was actually Elvis Costello did that when he was on SNL. When was that? In the 70s. In it the must 70s, have been, yeah. yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, which, correct me if I'm wrong about this, he did the same thing, uh, Lauren Michaels or whoever, the, the big, big wigs at... NBC wanted Elvis Costello to play one track and then he interrupted that performance live mid-song and then went into the song that he wanted to play and it was subsequently banned from playing on SNL, I believe, until years yeah. later on their 25th anniversary he was invited back and at that moment. So that was really, really cool. Yeah, I, uh, I was wondering when you played this if you were going to tell that story. I didn't remember the Beastie Boys things, but I, 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 I did know about the original yeah. one from the 70s. Yeah, I had the... My parents taped the 25th anniversary, so I had it on VHS, and I watched that VHS over and over and over and over again. And uh, I was a huge Beastie Boys fan in you know, the 90s and, and beyond, so that's how I was like, who's this old guy coming out to sing with the Beastie Boys? Now, he wasn't old. He was probably in his, like, fourth like early 50s or something but uh yeah that was a that was a crazy moment and uh, i love it and that's that's how i discovered this track and now it's one of my favorite tracks of all time that's great i didn't know this wasn't on the album originally either yeah i think it was originally yeah, yeah. i don't want to go to chelsea uh -huh. um and then they were added this song to it or maybe they added both of those songs to the u.s release i forget exactly is that it i got one more I oh, okay. We Great. We've got one more number. track for you. So this one is, I mean, the last one I'm going to play is The Breeders, who, um, this is the bass player, Kim Deal, from The Pixies, who we heard earlier. And um, she originally uh, started off as a side project with her uh, and Tanya Donnelly, who was from the band Throwing Muses, who were also on that same label, 4AD. But then, um, because of tensions in The Pixies, eventually The Breeders became her main band and she was kicked out of the Pixies. I did get to see the Pixies on a reunion tour with Kim Deal though. It didn't last very long because then she, they started fighting again. But uh, um, this is their, uh, probably their, their most popular album, Last Splash by the Breeders. It has a lot of famous songs on it. Cannonball was their big hit. It was a big hit in the 90s. But um, they're kind of known for the more heavier, uh, grungier one. But this is this is a song that's a, one of the slower ones that I I was always drawn to on this album. It is called "Do You Love Me Now," and I should have been putting the record on while I said all that, but I wasn't. I was <laughs> so just one second. It's also another iconic Von Oliver album cover. Like I 
Anyway, I don't have a whole lot to say about this one. I just like the song. It's a great album. And uh, it was a, kind of a lesser known. This has some, you know, their most popular songs on it. So, Breeders Last Splash album available at the library. Um, yeah, well, um, in the show notes, I'll make sure to include every album that we've that we've played, so you can check it out. And um, I don't know if I mentioned it yet on the podcast, but we have a website now for the podcast. It's savelibrary.org/podcast. And on that website, you can listen to the episodes, but um, underneath each uh, episode player, I have detailed notes of everything, every book, every album, any movie, anything we talk about with links to our catalog, so you can check it out right there. So I'll make sure to include all the albums we talked about as well there. So that was a lot of fun. I could do this all day. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we'll have to do another one. In the get, future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's plenty of vinyl to choose from. It was hard just narrowing it down to six albums. I'm, I could easily do this again. Yeah, so. I flipped past lots of other ones that I could have pulled. So. Yeah, and we'll get Tim on the next one, so maybe he'll have some uh, different choices. But I think our I think our choices mashed up pretty well, yeah. I will say. All right, well, that's all we got for this week. So thank you for tuning in. And next week, we're going to be talking about uh, what Peter and I are into. So stay tuned for that. Bye.